Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 62. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. And therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he is risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the day of the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. And as he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The word of the Lord. So as we, we look at this, I have to say, remind yourself again, you know, where were the women going? What were they there to prepare to do, what sort of mindset do you have to get yourself into to be able to, to do this terrible, gruesome task? Um, this is something that we pay professionals to do today. We don't have to go do this. Um, maybe we, I wouldn't want to do that, but, you know, but maybe we miss out on some personal aspect of, of life and death um, through this. But this was something that... Um, would have been, you know, maybe the most difficult thing they had been called to do short of witnessing his, his crucifixion. And so when they get there, it's interesting, too, that the angel, you know, says the guards are there and the guards are afraid, but he says to the women. He doesn't say to the guards that they can be afraid. The women, though, it's personal. There's this personal nature to even this angel that knows who they are. He's been watching all these things. He's a messenger from God, and God wants to say to them. Jesus Christ wants to say to them. He wants to say to us. These things should evoke great fear. We recognize that. However, be not afraid. Fear not, which he says to the women. Fear not. He's not here. He's risen. And I love the face. Like he said, you know, uh, Pilate, uh, the, 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 um, the religious leaders have recognized the fact that Jesus has claimed to come back to life on the third day. So we need to do something to make sure they don't come steal his body. Uh, but the interesting thing is 
what they do to secure the tomb makes the story that his body was stolen all the less believable. So everything the world does in this particular case to try to um, disprove or put Jesus to death and leave him there, um, it just, everything declares more loudly that he is the Son of God. And so once again, the seal, I mean, you don't break the seal, the big stone rolled there, the guards. And so when the report would have been given among the Jews that the disciples came and stole them away, they would have just been like, yeah, fake news, there's no way. <laughs> that didn't happen. So you're saying he's not there anymore. And so it would make people question. And then Jesus appears. And over the next 40 days, he appears to many people, and many people see him. And this is written within the time period where people would have been able to say, I don't know anybody that claims I've seen him. This is all made up. But nobody does that. Everybody knows that what was written in the Gospels was true. Anybody could have come forward and said, you know, we lived during this time and these things didn't happen. But nobody doubted that these things were claimed Nobody was doubting that there were large groups of people who claimed to have seen Jesus and talked to Jesus. So his resurrection is true. But it's still a matter of faith for us. And we remember even um, um, Thomas, as he was with the apostles and they had seen, the disciples had seen Jesus, he wasn't there, and they're telling him, he's alive he came back you know it's like so it's not like well back then people were just kind of foolish and they unscientific and they believed that people came back from the dead i mean they if they didn't know anything else they knew that dead's dead they, they got that point you knew that death is death and so jesus is, is alive and timothy is like i don't believe it i won't believe it and what does he say i mean he gets into it he's like i don't believe it looks like i put my finger into his side and the nails in his hands and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe it. And there's a lot of people today that, I don't believe it. I need proof. I need something. You know, or even they're just like, I won't believe it. And then Jesus appears to Timothy. I'm sorry, to Thomas. It starts with a T. To Thomas. And he says, hey, well, you know, I like to be a little, put your hand in here. Here it is. And it doesn't say he did it. I mean, of course he didn't do it. He's like, wait a second. It is you. He knew it was him. And he felt fully as he worships him. And he says, he says, um, my, 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 what's he say? My Lord and my God. And so he gives one of the highest praises that we see. A worshiper of Jesus Christ calling him as he is God. So don't ever think in your mind that, that Thomas actually did it. doesn't say he did. He said, unless I do, I'm not going to believe. And then Jesus says to him, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And that's us. And so we're called to believe. And we're told, and the Bible in the New Testament goes to great lengths to make sure that the Jews understood and that the Gentiles, those are all the non-Jews that are, but now we're talking to believers in Jesus and the Jews who are believers in Jesus, that it is understood that the same way that their father Abraham believed the promises of God and that belief in the promises of God was counted to Abraham as righteousness. 
in that same way, we believe Jews and Gentiles have faith in the promises of God in Jesus Christ. And for those who believe in these promises in Jesus Christ, it is counted to us as righteousness. In the same way it was to Abraham. The law came in the middle. And what the Jews had to deal with was the reality is now here. Those mosaic covenants, those laws, the regulations have now been put away. Now it is by faith in Jesus Christ, just as it was before. The promise that came to Abraham um, did not, the law that came after that didn't nullify that promise. And the only problem that Israel had was following these promises from Moses without this faith. And if they had, as some of them did, follow these rules and regulations by faith, knowing that this doesn't save me, they, pulled, they, they saved us out of Egypt before. They, God didn't say, do all the Ten Commandments, make sure you do all these holiness codes, and if you do it right, I'll save you out of Egypt. He didn't do that. He saved his people, called them out, and then gave them these promises and gave them these rules, these regulations for purposes and for reasons that we don't really have time to get into now, but basically to to keep things together to get to Jesus Christ, to keep a people together so that they were separated from the world, so that they would remain the, the holders and keepers of the oracles of God, so that when Jesus comes, it's like, that's what it all pointed to. And those who were in that covenant through the faith of Abraham, not just by the flesh, but those who were spiritual descendants of Abraham who believed, they got it. They saw immediately that Jesus is the Christ. And so that's what's called upon us to do is also simply to believe. Now, what you believe dictates what you do. So when Abraham believed God, we see lots of stuff that he did out of this belief. We see some failures on Abraham's part, but that was all in the midst of following God after God's promises. And so it was the promises of God that kept Abraham. It's what kept Israel. It's what saved us all the way until the time of Jesus Christ when Jesus keeps all of the law perfectly and his righteousness is counted as righteousness. He actually is the covenant fulfiller. He does all the right things. He's born without sin. He doesn't inherit Adam's sin. He's born without sin. And then he's born under the law, though. And so as he's born under law, he keeps it perfectly, and then he is crucified under the law. And very interesting, it's the Roman law, but it's also the religious law that both condemned a righteous man. So that the death took place of somebody who did not deserve death, but he said, I do this representing, this is part of what was pointed to in the baptism of Jesus, where he is identified with his people so that those who believe in him are united to him, were hidden in him. It's a covenantal language, it's promised language, it's, it's spiritual unification too as we get the Holy Spirit and we're united to him in a powerful way as the church is united to one another in a powerful way. Living stones being built together into a temple of God where his presence dwells in and among us. And so when he is crucified as the innocent lamb, that's what was always foretold. And that's what occurred. Death occurred. And what we're going to see, if you look at in Galatians chapter 2, it's probably the, 
the oldest of Paul's writings. So Galatians chapter 2, beginning of verse 15. Paul is having arguments with some Jewish Christians who are talking to the Gentile Christians, and they're demanding that, okay, if you're going to be Christian, that means you have Abraham as your father. They're understanding all these things. They're like, so you've got to come in and get circumcised. You need to keep these laws and all this stuff. And Paul's like, no. And so he starts to explain what this means in this section. We have a lot to learn here about the resurrection. He says, He's talking, um, particularly he was talking to Peter, and he's writing this to the to the letter there to the to the church there, and to these Jewish people in particular who are trying to get the Gentiles to become Jewish too in their Christianity. We ourselves are Jews by birth, and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. So the word justified is really the word righteousness. And it means to be declared righteous. So if you are justified, it means you went to court and you're being tried for all these terrible things that you've done. And the judge, he doesn't just say not guilty. The declaration is that person is righteous. That person has fulfilled all the covenant demands. That person has um, obeyed the law. This is a righteous person. And you're declared righteous. And then you go out. Now, the problem then is, oh, my goodness, you, you've just set somebody with a terrible, <laughs> you set a sinner free. But what God does is that he is righteous and the one who makes righteous, he is just and the justifier is, he gives us the Holy Spirit. Our salvation is more than just being declared righteous. It is that you have been born again and we'll see that you've been raised with Christ, that you've died in Christ, that you've been given the Holy Spirit. There is a change that takes place in a believer that enables you to be able not just to believe, but to follow this inner impulse of God that has been set up in a person's life. And so this is what he's saying. You know that a person is not declared righteous by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. He said the Gentiles believe in Jesus Christ. So have we. Don't think the Gentiles are saved by Jesus, but we're saved by the law plus Jesus. He's like, "Uh uh-uh. We're all saved by the same faith in the same person. And so we've also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, to be declared righteous by faith in Christ. It can also be translated by the faith of Christ. And so both of these things are kind of just the faith of Christ that saves us. It's our faith in him that saves us. And it's not by works of law because the works of law, no one's declared righteous. But if in our endeavor to be justified, if in our endeavor to be declared righteous in Christ, we're too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. So we're not trying to build the law back up and put those practices back in place. That law is what kills. It says you're, you're imperfect. You can't do these things. That's why you have to have faith to see that there's no way you can keep all these righteous commandments. Because you just don't have a holy pure you've inherited sin and so you can't do this perfectly he says but 19 through the law 
I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. Now, that's an amazing little phrase that stuck right there in the middle of Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. So what he wants us to hear is, if you're a believer, you have too. You were crucified with Christ. So as we talk about the crucifixion of Christ around Easter time, and we talk about it every Sunday, it's the centerpiece of the church. But as the world looks at it a little more at this time, when it's the time that Jesus was crucified, that we need to recognize the fact that we're crucified with him. So what's the big deal with that? And the big deal with that is the penalty of the law was your death. We all deserve death. Every one of us. And so Jesus Christ dies under the law as punishment, as penalty for death. So we were crucified with him. So here's what you got. The just punishment for your sin in Christ. You died in Christ. You crucified with Christ. And so we're going to look at Romans in a bit, and we're going to hinge upon this whole thing. There's now no condemnation for those in Christ. Why not? Because you live perfect lives? It's like, no, because you couldn't. And not only that, but you paid the penalty in Christ. Your death, it was called for. It has been given in Christ. He is the one who died. It is no longer, verse 20, it is no longer I who live. Put yourself in there. Therefore, as a believer, it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. So this is the way we need to be thinking about ourselves. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And it's really interesting, too, that Paul doesn't just say us or you, he says, me. And he's talking personal terms, and we need to be able to take this verse in personal terms and to say, the life I now live in, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't nullify the grace of God, for if I could be justified through the law, then, there was no, then Christ died for no purpose. And so he's telling that to these, to these Jewish believers. It's like, if you think you can be justified, if you think you can be declared righteous by keeping the law, and we can say the same thing because a part of the law is the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And so if we wanted to say as Gentile sinners that um, we want to be declared righteous by living righteous lives, <laughs> not before God. And what we'll tend to do is like, you know, we'll do like the, the, the publican that was, not the Republican, but the, the guy that was, you know, saying, look at this um, person over here. Um, at least I'm not like this sinner, you know. And he's like, and that sinner over there was beating their chest and sorrow to God. And it's like, that, that, that's no way to be. You can't compare yourself to other people if, as far as your righteousness goes. Because you will always believe that you're a little more justified in your behavior than everybody else is. If, if you get to, there's two things about us that are interesting. One, you will cut yourself more slack than anybody else in the world, and you will be harder on yourself than anybody else in the world. It depends on which works for you at the time, if you think about it. And it's just a weird thing we have set up within us. And we see that we have the flesh and we have the spirit. It's just an odd thing. I mean, how many times have you decided not to do something? And you don't even, and you, you don't even listen to yourself. 
I mean, how odd is that? I will not do this. And you just do it. <laughs> and it's not like somebody took you over. It's like, I don't want to do it, but I do it. And Paul talks about this. And so what he's saying is, you got to live by faith. You got to live by faith in the Holy Spirit living within you. That is faith that what Jesus is saying is true. What God has said about Jesus is true. These things are true. Reckon all these promises to be true. That's credited to us as righteousness. We have an internal impulse that's at work. We have flesh that's at work within us. We're not being judged anymore on that. My flesh has been crucified with Christ. And the life I live in the body, I now live by faith in Jesus Christ. I have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me, enabling me to live a life that is pleasing to God, even outwardly. Not perfectly, but any time that we sin, there's no excuse for it. And that's something I think we have to kind of reckon with because I think we're very quick to excuse our sin rather than recognizing the fact that the flesh has been crucified with Christ. We go to the cross. We go to the throne of grace with our sin. And we say, I hate it. And at times, I indulge in it. And to one another, I don't, I am sorry the way I talk to you and treat you. I mean, I do it. I grew up learning sarcasm is the way that you deal with any type of situation that is uncomfortable. And so, and you have ways that you deal with stuff, and we all have these ways. And when I was a child, I thought like a child, but when I was grown, you put away childish things. And so we have to learn to grow and to live. It takes a lot of grace, one to another, but it really takes what we're going to see here in the next few minutes in Romans. So turn with me to Romans chapter 3. So it's after the Gospels, and then you have Acts, and then Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 3, beginning of verse 9. And let's just listen to what um, the Holy Spirit tells us in Romans um, about um, the new life, about the resurrection of Christ, about what it means to be saved, about what it means to have faith and be a believer, and, and let the... Let the word of God, because we're going to take communion in a few minutes. And so what communion is going to say is, as a believer, the word of God is your bread and it is your drink. It is Christ himself being given to you. And when you receive the word of God, as it actually is the word of God, not a man, as a believer by faith, it builds you up, it nurses you, it unites you to Jesus Christ. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper doesn't do that. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper says, you are mine, and let me point to you what happens when you hear the word of God. Just as when a, when a person is baptized, it recognizes the washing of the pure water of the word. It recognizes the identification of the person with the, with the death of Christ and with his resurrection. So Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all Jews and, Gen Jews and Greeks are under the power of sin. I mean, all of us, especially before Christ, without faith, under the power of sin. As is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. 
Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, will be declared righteous in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God remember that's what justification is this righteousness but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified declared righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood propitiation means an atoning sacrifice a sacrifice put forth to avert the wrath from us it was absorbed by Christ so that now God can be propitious towards us he can be favorable towards us he can be charitable and loving towards us because the sacrifice has taken place the blood of Christ and it is received by faith okay not by works this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he was holding back, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. It's the same word. They could just use the word righteous. And the one who makes righteous, the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. He's just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore... Since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. If you're a believer, trusting in Christ, you've been declared righteous. And you have peace with God. I mean, that's, you have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, standing in grace. And what he means by that is I'm not standing on uh, any works that I do. I'm standing on the promises of God. That's what I'm standing on. He said it. I'm believing it. I'm standing in it. If it's anything to do with my works, if it's anything to do with my personal behavior, I am not making it. I am trusting in the promises of God. And in that, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God because that's the promise and that's what we're trusting in the hope of the glory of God and if you're trusting in it and it shows because you've got the Holy Spirit living within you so we're going to start listening for that what's this impulse saying more than that we rejoice in our sufferings now that's crazy knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us the Holy Spirit 
has been given to us. Don't miss what that means. That does not mean that you've been given some new insight into things, although it means that. It doesn't just mean that you kind of get things or something like that. Just some sort of wisdom, some sort of, you know, now I, I was blind, now I see. And it means those things, but it means more than that. Because Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't even see it. So when we're talking to people about the kingdom of God, we're talking to people about the gospel, and they're not born again, they, they can't see it. We just thank God that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ so that people can be born again, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is a gift of God, but it comes through hearing. That's why we share the gospel. It is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ that Israel was supposed to be making by faith, and they couldn't do it. So Jesus comes forth because it was always the plan for him to shed his risen spirit amongst the people people who are called together as his church and New Testament from all over the world that proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are sinners and lost so that when he energizes them, when he activates them, when he causes them to be born again, they recognize this stuff to be true. And they have this inner impulse. They have this Holy Spirit living within them. And then we go to verse chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse one. So what do we say? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Because he just got through saying where grace abound, where sin abounds, grace abounded all the more. So it's not by these works. So, it's, so when Paul asks this, this means if you get the gospel properly, someone should be able to accuse you. It, they should say, you know, it sounds like you're saying it doesn't matter how you live. And it sounds like you're saying that you can do all the sinning you want to and you can still be saved. And then your answer to that would be, that, that is what I'm saying. But does that mean that we should continue to sin so the grace can abound? No, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And unfortunately, we can say, well, let me show you how. <laughs> He's like, you're not going to live in it. You cannot live in it. And if you're living in sin, and this can mean a lot of different things, so you've got to be careful with it, but if you're living in it and you're dwelling in it and that's it, your internal life impulse is towards the evil. It is not anything you're trying to do good. It's just for whatever purposes, but it's not out of faith. It's not out of trying to please God. It's not out of the recognition of grace and, and all these things that he loved me and he died for me. It, you're living in it. Do you not know that all of us, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And this isn't just talking about water baptism. It's what water baptism represents. It's that union of Christ, which is what? The Holy Spirit being poured into your life. The Holy Spirit coming into your heart, changing your mind, changing your heart, changing your impulses, changing your emotions, changing who you are. And that you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death. And that's important because penalty for sin. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
Jesus' resurrection, we're resurrected in him, he walks, we now walk in that newness of life. That's what we're called to do, walk in this newness of life. For if we have been unified with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is beautiful and it's true. So therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies to make, it, to make you obey their passions. Your mortal bodies don't let not sin reign. What's that mean? That sin, it's the master. It's the controller. Sin is the thing that dictates what you do, and you're just, you got to do it. You can't help it. I don't want to do it. You got to. Go. Don't let that happen. It says, don't let it happen. So sometimes what we do is believers, you let it happen. And then it makes you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin. Don't present your body to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. The Holy Spirit telling us this. He works within us to enable us to do this, but we're called to do it. So in some strange way, we work with the Holy Spirit to enable this in the power only of the Holy Spirit to present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And then we're able to go to Romans chapter 8. Now, I suggest you read all of Romans, <laughs> but we're just going to hit these little things right now. Eight, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you just skip to the end, Romans 8, verse 38, because I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what it means to be dead. That's what it means to be resurrected. That we're alive in Christ. His death was our death. His resurrection, our resurrection. We can, at Christmas, you get to look at it, you know, and Christmas turned into this crazy month-long thing where everybody just loves it, and it's wonderful, it's great, no problems with it. But Easter, it's like, we, that's us. He was crucified. I, I was crucified with him. He's resurrected. Resurrected. I was resurrected with him. You, call to other people. You know, this is the call. You're dead. In your sin and trespasses, what you need is to share in the death of Christ. Because when you die in Christ, you get resurrected. But it's only through Christ that you get to resurrection. Everybody's going to die. And everybody will stand in judgment. Believer, you stood in judgment at the cross. 
and you were judged guilty. But at Christ's resurrection, we were declared righteous because we're hidden in him. So when we had the last day and we stand before the judge and there's simply the, the righteous and the wicked, we'll be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We'll be declared righteous. But, or and, you also have rewards. From the things that we do in this life by the internal impulse of the Holy Spirit, through the faith that's given us by the Holy Spirit, through the things that we do in this world, whenever you've done it to at least these my brothers, you've done it unto me. And there's rewards for that. I don't know what they are. Jonathan Edwards said, um, you will be perfectly filled to your, the greatest capacity you have to be able to enjoy the things of heaven. Some people will have capacities to understand and feel things and know things at greater levels than, than others. But it will only be to the, to, for the good of everybody else. And there will be no jealousy. There's none of this. But this life is now working an eternal weight of glory, we're told. So what I think what God would, is, would, is saying to us is stop trying to earn your way in heaven. You can't do it. Jesus Christ did it. He earned your way into heaven. Trust in him. Believe in him. Follow him. And walk in newness of life. Walk in newness of life. Do good. Let your light shine. Not so that he'll love you more. Not so that um, you can feel good about yourself. But just so that as you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit and you have this desire to please God. He's saying you can. And when you blow it, when you mess up, you run through a field of grace to a heavenly father that loves you and the love of God compels you and he holds you and he'll never let you go. And you're able to say, I know I broke the window. I know I smashed your favorite thing. I know I cussed you to your face. I know I did all these things. And your, your earthly father may discipline you. And we've had bad fathers and good fathers, but our heavenly father is a wonderful father and he'll never let us go, and he'll make sure that whatever we did will end up working to our good. And there's a fine balance between me standing up here and telling you do better, <laughs> because what I used to hear is do better and God will love you more. That is not true. God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Walk in the Spirit. Put to death the deeds of the flesh and walk in the spirit. Because he loves you. That's not going to change if you're in him. So we have to ask ourselves, are we in him? And if you're in him, throw yourself deeply into him. And if you think you're not, throw yourself deeply into him. And, and, and talk to us. Talk to somebody. Let's pray and dig into the word and pray to God and throw yourselves on the promises and trust we're all working on it. So let's pray. Well, let me, let me say last thing. Um, just let's pray. <laughs> Father God, you are holy, holy, holy. You are perfect beyond all measure. You are our God, our Father, our Lord, our Savior. Um, 
Easter is about you. Every Sunday is about you. Every day is about you. Life is about you. Every molecule is about you. Everything, no matter how far away, no matter how close, no matter how large, no matter how small, no matter how bright, no matter how dark, the darkness is not darkness to you. Lord, you are all in all. And you have called us to see these things. And we pray that you would bring us to life more and more, that we might truly be Christ-like and that we could just relax and rest in you and in your love. And we pray this thing in Christ's holy name. Amen.